Hi, my name is Michael Sano. I'm Jewish and I love Israel. So if you love Israel, if you love being Jewish, or if you have an unwavering connection to the land of Israel, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? My name is Michael Sano, and welcome to this episode of the 12 Cities in Israel podcast, the only positive podcast about the food, the culture, the people, and the history of the state of Israel. Listen, if this is your first time watching, don't forget to hit the like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell uh, so you get all the brand new episodes. Recommend and share this video and this podcast uh, to your friends and to your families. Um, And if you want to take us with you, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify. Also, as always, this podcast is brought to you by the 12 Cities in Israel uh, Modern Hebrew Flashcards, the best way to learn Hebrew and the best way to brush up on Hebrew. You can find them um, on Amazon for Kindle. If you don't have Kindle or you don't have a Kindle, you can download it to your um, to your Android, uh, Android phone, your iPhone, your iPad, to your PC, and to your Mac. Um, all right. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is the final city in the... 12 cities in Israel series. So I have spent the past 22 episodes speaking to you about the history of all the cities uh, in the first episode and the modern city in all of uh, all of uh, all these Israeli cities, these 12 cities that I've chosen. A lot of you didn't even know that there were 12 cities. A lot of you probably didn't know any of this history. Um, and this one is, of course, uh, of the utmost importance. This is Yerushalayim. As you can see on the board, it says Jerusalem. Um, this one, I got to be honest, this one's a little bit scary because for a couple of reasons. One, I have to I have to fly by this information. There's a ton of information, so there's going to be some omissions. Um there are there's a lot of religious sensitivity around the city um one of the things that i focus on is the city itself not the religions so um in saying that to um to people who feel that their faith was brushed over um the the purpose of these isn't to talk about religion um, it's to talk, uh, it is to talk about religion in some respects. Uh, we're talking about how religion has affected a city, but we're not talking about the religion itself. So just bear that in mind and enjoy the history. All right. First, uh, Peter and Jay hats, uh, sip of my Jacob's coffee. Hold on one sec. Mm-mm-mm. Mm. I couldn't do it without you guys, and I couldn't do it without this coffee. So one more sip. Hold on. This one's going to be a beast, So, um, but it's going to be fun. All right, so Jerusalem, uh, the capital of the state of Israel, um, sits on a plateau in the Judean mountains between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. It is one of the oldest cities in the world. And is holy to the three major Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. All right. So it has been destroyed at least twice, besieged 23 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, attacked 52 times, and every major power in the ancient world has at one time or another held it under its control. No lie. Now, despite this fact, Jerusalem is held in historical memory as the fiercely independent and influential seat of the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Solomon, the kingdom of the Hasmoneans or the the Maccabees, 
and as the seat of Herod the Great. Um, now, Jerusalem goes back quite, quite, quite a ways. Um, and the southeastern hill of Jerusalem, also known as the City of David, is thought to be the site of the first settlement um, of what would become the holiest city on earth. It was here that the Gihon Spring attracted shepherds who camped near the water between 6,000 and 7,000 years ago during the uh, Chalcolithic or Copper Age. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, Chalcolithic or Copper Age of 4,500 to 3,000. 3500 BCE, and they left behind um, ceramics and flint artifacts for later generations to find. Now, archaeologists believe that later on during the Bronze Age, a walled city was constructed due to uh, the defensive advantages that the site's location offered um, and the fact that walled cities were common at that time and in the area. Um, so during the pre-Israelite period, the area is thought to have been separated from the site of what would later become the Temple Mount by what was called the Ophel in the Bible, which has been translated as either a fortified place. That's the other reason we get the idea of a walled fort, um, a tower, citadel, or stronghold. Um, or just as it's also translated as hill. Now, this Ophel would go on to become the seat of the Israelites' government and rule. Permanent houses, though, only appeared on the southeastern hill or the city of David several centuries later, with a small village emerging during the early Bronze Age I or the early Bronze Age II from 3000 to 2800 BCE. We are going way back in time. This settlement is often referred to as the Ophel Ridge due to its proximity to the biblical Ophel, and its inhabitants are believed to have been Canaanites. So, now we have the Canaanites. Now we're going to move into uh, the biblical period, and the execration text from the 19th century BCE uh, that outlines the enemies of the Egyptian pharaohs refers to a city called Rusalimum or Urusalimum, which is thought to be Jerusalem. And the Armana letters from the 14th century BCE may also be the earliest mention of the city. Now, while other archaeologists argue that the Ophel Ridge fortification was the center of the kingdom uh, that dates to around the 18th century BCE. And eventually, in the late Bronze Age, Jerusalem became the capital of an Egyptian vassal state that governed a few outer villages and agricultural um, areas with a small Egyptian garrison. During the reigns of Seti I, from 1290 to 1279 BCE, and Ramses I from 1279 to 1213 BCE, there was an emphasis on infrastructure construction as revenues from the area increased. Um, so basically what they're, what they're saying is um, that the earliest city uh, was were these, these references in the execration texts um, or the Armana letters, but there are also um, archaeologists who argue that um, that wasn't the case, that that was a different place from the Ophel Ridge fortification. That's what I meant in the beginning. Not to be too confusing. Um, it's a lot of stuff to go through. So this period when, um, when Canaan formed part of the Egyptian empire seems to correspond to the biblical accounts um, outlined in the book of Joshua and its account of the campaign and siege of Canaan cities. It must be stated, though, um, that there is some doubt among a number of scholars as to, to the historicity of the book of Joshua, where this account takes place, uh, meaning that they do not believe that uh, the book of Joshua is a historical document um, that can be relied upon. Now, regardless, according to the Bible, Jerusalem was situated within the territory that had been apportioned to the tribe of Benjamin after um, 
they had, they had finished all the fighting. Yet at the time, it had been occupied by a Canaanite tribe known as the Jebusites. David in the Bible was said to have conquered them in the siege of Jebus, uh, and upon his victory, relocated his capital from Hebron um, to to Jerusalem. Jerusalem then became the capital of a united kingdom of Israel and one of its several religious centers. Now you have to understand back in the day, um, there, there were different altars. There were different temples throughout, uh, throughout the, uh, this United Kingdom of Israel where people would make offerings and sacrifices. Again, according to the Bible, King David reigned for 40 years and was succeeded by his son, Solomon, and it would be King Solomon who would build the holy temple on Mount Moriah. It would later become known as Solomon's temple or the first temple, and it would play a key role in transforming the Jewish religion from a nomadic faith to a regional religious movement uh, by giving a permanent home to the Ark of the Covenant. Upon King Solomon's death, in the 10th century BCE, 10 of the northern tribes of Israel broke from this uh, united monarchy established by his father, uh, David, to form their own nation in northern Israel, known as the Israelite kingdom. The southern tribes, together with the um, Aaronid priesthood, remained in Jerusalem, thus turning the, the city into the capital of the kingdom of Judah, which is where we all get our names, Jews from. But did you know that? I uh, I knew that, but uh, some people don't know that. Um, so this lasted, though, only for about 200 years because in 722 BCE, um, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, forcing a number of Israelite refugees back to the city of Jerusalem. Interestingly, that is why it is thought we have what are called dual stories in the Torah. Why we have, um, like, uh, oh, what is it? What is it? What is it? Yael? I think, I think it's Yael. There are two different stories of the telling of that, uh, of that episode in the Bible. And it's because, um, both stories spoke to, uh, to different portions of the Jewish community in this newly um, populated uh, kingdom of Judah, which now had members of the kingdom of Judah and former members of the kingdom of Israel uh, inside it. Members, I don't know if that's the right word, but you get what I'm saying. So there are, though, archaeological remains from the time of the ancient Israelites, and these include the Shiloach Tunnel or Hezekiah's Tunnel, which was an aqueduct built by um, Judite King Hezekiah that contains an ancient Hebrew inscription known as the Shiloach uh, inscription. There's the Broad Wall, which was a defensive fortification also built by Hezekiah in the 8th century BCE. Uh, the Shiloach Necropolis with the tomb of the Pharaoh's daughter, which legend says is the tomb of King Solomon's Egyptian wife. Um, and the tomb of the royal steward were decorated with monumental Hebrew inscriptions. There is also the Israelite Tower, which are the remnants of ancient fortifications built from large, sturdy rocks with carved cornerstones, and a huge water reservoir dating from this period that was discovered in 2012 near Robinson's Arch. All of these structures indicate that this area was at the center of everyday life during the time of the kingdom of Judah. How cool is that? You can go touch these stones. You can go see these places, run your fingers over the inscriptions, and you are touching part of the kingdom of Judah. That is so badass. I'm sorry. So the kingdom of Judah and the first temple period both ended around 586 BCE when... Nebuchadnezzar's Neo-Babylonian Empire conquered Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. Uh, by the end, Nebuchadnezzar had reduced both Jerusalem and Solomon's temple to rubble and enslaved the population and took them off to Babylon. So that is the destruction of the first temple. Now, 
how cool is it that eventually Nebuchadnezzar's uh, Neo-Assyrian uh, Babylonian Empire was replaced by the Persian King Cyrus, and it's cool, trust me, uh, by the Persian King Cyrus the Great's uh, Achaemenid Empire. And in 538 BCE, he put forth an edict that the Jews of Babylon may return to Judah and may rebuild the temple. He even gave them gold and silver towards the second temple's construction. And this was supposedly the gold and silver that was removed from the first temple. Um, now, it was completed in 516 BCE during the reign of Darius the Great, um, also of Persia, 70 years after Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of the first temple. A few decades later, in 45 BCE, during the reign of Xerxes, Jerusalem was besieged, conquered, and raised by a coalition of Edomites, Moabites, Ammonites, Tyrians, and Philistines. Then, 40 years later, in 445 BCE, King Artaxerxes I of Persia issued a, a decree allowing the city, including its fortified walls, to be rebuilt. And from this, Jerusalem went about resuming its role as the capital of Judah and the center of Jewish worship. So, how cool is that? Um, all these different names, all these different footsteps. Um, it is absolutely insane. I, I actually have to check something real quick because for some reason, um, destruction of second temple. Can't believe I'm doing this while I'm filming. Um, but I want to because, or destruction of first temple. Destruction of... Am I spelling this right? Of first temple. So what I'm doing right now, just for those of you who are um, who are listening, I went over. Um, I went over all of my uh, my my history and. I'm, for some reason, I'm wondering if this is the right... Uh, when was the first temple destroyed in the Bible? It was 586 BC. It was 586. For some reason, I thought that the date that I had written down wrong was wrong. But sorry about that little hiccup. Let me take a sip of coffee. Hold on. Ah, oh, so many dates, so many times. Sometimes it gets confusing. I knew... Um, it was close, and I'm glad I double-checked it. I didn't want to get it wrong. So 586 was uh, the destruction of the first temple. I know, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So now we move on to um, when the Hellenization, what became the Hellenization of Jerusalem. So we have the Persians who were there. But then Alexander uh, the Great conquered the Persian Empire in 330 BCE. Um, and Jerusalem and Judea now came under Macedonian control. This lasted until Alexander's death in 323 BCE with the Macedonian Empire in disarray as his former generals carved pieces of it apart for themselves. Jerusalem wound up within the lands that would become known as the Ptolemaic dynasty after the general named Ptolemy the first, um, real original, right? Um, I guess Herodian, Ptolemaic, um, that it all makes sense. You name yourself, your empire after you. So in 198 BCE, Ptolemy the fifth Epiphanes lost Judea and its capital Jerusalem to the Seleucids, another empire carved out of the Macedonian empire. So, which was ruled by Antiochus the third. Now, things were different with the Seleucids. The Ptolemies followed the Macedonian practice of allowing captured and conquered lands uh, the freedom to retain their customs and religion as long as fealty and support was given to the empire. Um, for the Seleucids, Hellenization, the practice of adopting and enforcing Hellenistic or ancient Greek customs, um, was the law of the land. Now... This didn't work for most of the people of Judea and Jerusalem is one of the and was one of the reasons 
for the Maccabean revolt of Mattathias and his five sons against Antiochus IV Epiphanes in 168 BCE. Also, what happened was the desecration of the temple by Antiochus IV, who put a statue of Zeus in there and slaughtered a pig on the altar. Not kosher. Um, but we prevailed, and it is where we get our holiday of Hanukkah. Hanukkah from so it's awesome um not only was the revolt successful but it led to the establishment in 152 bce of the hasmonean kingdom with jerusalem as its capital um now do things last in jerusalem absolutely not um and never able to leave well well enough alone the roman general pompey uh the great in 63 BCE, captured Jerusalem from the Hasmoneans during their struggles over who should rightly sit on the throne, took total advantage of it. This extended Rome's influence and control over Judea and Jerusalem. And But again, not willing to give up without a fight, the Hasmoneans enlisted the Parthians, who considered themselves to be the heirs of the Achaemenid Persian Empire, uh, to invade Judea in the hopes of driving the Romans out and placing a Hasmonean back on the throne in Jerusalem. This, of course, led to civil unrest with pro-Roman and pro-Parthian forces struggling against each other. Because um, I guess some people really like the Romans. With all of this unrest, Rome was able to become stronger um, in its control of Judea. And to solidify this control, they installed Herod, an Edomite that would eventually become known as Herod the Great, as a Jewish client king, which is kind of funny because he wasn't Jewish, he was Edomite, an Edomite, but he had a Jewish wife. So I guess they figured it would just kind of work, um, whatever. Um, now, in love with his role as despot, um, Herod devoted himself to building up and beautifying the city with enormous public works. Uh, he built grandiose palaces. He built enormous fortified walls. He built great towers to defend the city and he expanded the Temple Mount by buttressing the courtyard with blocks of stone that weighed up to 100 tons. Under Herod's uh, massive building plan, the area of the Temple Mount doubled in size. So he can be credited with that. He did make um, our the, the Second Temple glorious. And now, following Herod's death in 6 uh, CE, Judea became a Roman province directly ruled by Rome. Um, that would, yeah, that's redundant, but sorry. <laughs> this tumultuous time is the period that can be found in the Christian Gospels, that chronicle Jesus's life and death. Now, this is where I'm going to run into a little bit of flack. I'm not really going to talk about that because the Gospels don't talk about any, about the city itself and the achievements of the city and the buildings in the, uh, in the city and the impact of the city. And for all intents and purposes, um, during his life, there there wasn't a tremendous impact on the city. It was only later on as Christianity developed um, that the importance of Jesus and the building works that were done in the name of Christianity were done. So that's that's pretty much where that that's the extent of my discussions of Jesus and Jerusalem. So sorry if that upsets anyone, but that's just, I'm covering the history of the city. Um, now, throughout this time, there were numerous Jewish factions plotting to unseat the Romans uh, from Judea and from Jerusalem. Now, the first major challenge to Roman power came during the first Jewish-Roman War from 86 to 73 uh, CE, which ended with a uh, with Rome destroying the Second Temple, along with the entire city in 70 CE. Now, that one always sticks in my mind. 70, I can get it, but um, 586 sometimes gets lost in my mind. And at the conclusion of the war, 
taking the treasures of the temple, captured Jewish slaves and their leader to Rome. After they destroyed it, they just looted everything. Um, the contemporary Jewish historian Josephus wrote that the city was so thoroughly razed to the ground by those that demolished it to its foundations that nothing was left that could ever persuade visitors that it had once been a place of habitation. It was at this time that Jerusalem had reached its peak size and population in the ancient world. The city itself covered three quarters of a square mile and before its destruction had a population of approximately 200,000. Again, not willing to let them get away with it. Uh, Roman rule was again challenged during the Bar Kokhba revolt from 132 CE to 135 CE. I love that. I love the tenacity. Yep, you're going to destroy us, but we're coming back. Um, they are like, we are honey badgers. I love it. Um, after brutally crushing this uprising, Emperor Hadrian combined uh, the province of Judea with other neighboring provinces under the new name of Syria, Palestina, with the hope of removing the Jews of Judea from the historical record and replacing them with the Philistines from the coastal plains southwest of Jerusalem from 800 years before. During this Roman reimagining of history, Jerusalem was also renamed and was called Aelia Capitolina and rebuilt in the style of a typical Roman town. So that is, for those of you who don't know, right there that date that's where palestine and the name palestine came from it was a reference to the philistines who weren't even in jerusalem they were in the coastal plains south of the yarkon river um down uh from the yarkon river down to the border of egypt and that is where the name palestine comes from it is a bastardization of the name philistines and it has caused so much trouble. Anyways, um, so from this point forward, according to Roman law, Jews were prohibited from entering the city on pain of death. No lie. The singular exception to this law was once a year during the holiday of Tishabav, which commemorates the destruction of the first and second Jewish temple. That's just rubbing it in. Um, these harsh measures effectively removed the religious nature of what was Jerusalem for both Jews and Christians until the 7th century when Christians were granted exemption to the law. The only other exemptions to this law uh, was during the 4th century when the Roman Emperor Constantine I, under the guidance of his mother Helena, ordered the construction of Christian holy sites within the city, including the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, which was the traditional site of Jesus' crucifixion and his burial. Yay. So, with the fall of the Roman Empire eventually and the establishment of the Byzantine Empire in Constantinople, control of Jerusalem was transferred in the 5th century. This did little to change the region um, due to the continuation of Roman laws, including the edict to restrict Jews from Jerusalem. This is evidenced by the fact that burial remains from the Byzantine period are exclusively Christian, so researchers have made the logical leap uh, that since there are no Jewish remains, there most likely were no Jewish residents um, from that time. During the Byzantine war with the Sassanids, Sassanids of Iran, uh, Jerusalem was captured in 614, but then recaptured by Byzantine Emperor um, Heraclius in 629. I'm going to have another sip of coffee. Um, ah, there we go. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There is so much history. And I know some of it, for some people, is going to be a little difficult to hear, a little controversial. Um but it is the history, and uh, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, it is the history. There are things that I've read about some of these cities um, that have been difficult for me to to conceptualize. So um, I bring it all to you to give you the straight dope. 
So Byzantine control of Jerusalem would again end when the Arab armies of Umar ibn al-Khattab in 638 CE swept through the region during the Rashidun Caliphate's conquests. Interestingly, and this is where it might get a little difficult for some people, interestingly, the first Muslim visitors to Jerusalem referred to it as Madinat Bayt al-Maqdis, or City of the Temple. Whoa. Um, a name that was singularly used uh, for the Temple Mount. The rest of the city, it is said, was called Elia after the Roman name given to the city following its destructions by the Romans in 70 CE, Ela Capitolina. So, whoa, that is like a mind bomb. Um, they didn't refer to it as Jerusalem. They referred to it as the city of the temple and also as the, uh, as the, uh, by its Roman name. Now, as Muslim control of Jerusalem continued, the Temple Mount became known as Al-Haram Al-Sharif, or the Noble Sanctuary, while the city around it became known as Bayat Al-Maqdis, again as the city of the Temple. So there's recognition in Muslim historical um, context, uh, in Muslim history, uh, Islamic history, that Jerusalem was referred to as the city of the temple. This changed again as time went on to Al-Quds Al-Sharif or the Holy Noble. So the Islamization of the captured city of Jerusalem began in 623 CE, even before its capture, when Muslims were instructed to face the city, <coughs> excuse me, while performing their daily prayers. And according to newly evolving Muslim religious tradition, Muhammad's night journey and ascension to heaven um, was ascribed and was supposed to have took place in the city. This, though, only lasted 13 years. Not, not the idea, but the turning to pray only lasted 13 years when in another evolution of tradition, the direction of prayer was changed to Mecca. It's... it's 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 interesting to to see how everything um, evolves, how everything is created. Um, it's just fascinating. So in 638, Jews were allowed back into the city by the Rashidun Caliphate Umar ibn al-Khattab, who had signed a treaty with Christian patriarch of Jerusalem, Sophonius, assuring him that Jerusalem's Christian holy places and population would be protected under Muslim rule. Christian Arab tradition tells a story that when led to pray at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Caliph refused to pray in the church so that the Muslims would not request conversion of the church to a mosque. Instead, he prayed outside of the church, where the mosque of Umar currently stands, just opposite to the entrance of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That's kind of a cool story. Um, now, when the Arab armies under Umar went to the Temple Mountain 637, they searched for the site of the farthest place of prayer slash mosque that was mentioned in the Quran and the Hadith. Uh, according to Islamic beliefs. Now, according to historians, the site was full of trash and was cleaned after its discovery by both Arabs and by Jews. Um, following this, the Umayyad Caliph Abd al-Malik commissioned the construction of a shrine on the Temple Mount, which is now known as the Dome of the Rock. So, it's... Uh, what... I'm curious about associations. I'm curious about the development. I'm curious about the uh, the Quranic associations with Jerusalem. Did they develop during this time? Did they develop um, due to the um, instigation of these two caliphs? These may be uncomfortable questions, but they're important questions to ask. Um, now, for four 400 years later, in 1099, the ruler of the Fatimid, caliphate expelled the christian population of jerusalem and this was done to prevent the christian residents from turning on the muslim defenders as they held the city against um the oncoming 
First Crusade. This action had little to no effect in stopping Crusader forces as they attacked the city. And after successfully breaching their defenses, the Crusaders massacred the majority of the city's Muslim and Jewish inhabitants. Way to go, dicks. Um, this onslaught massacre was to be the birth of the capital of their new kingdom of Jerusalem. Yeah, that that sets a real nice, nice pace for how the Crusades are going to go. Now, Jerusalem... Uh, which, having been emptied by the massacre, was quickly recolonized by a steady inflow of Christians. Of those that came, there were Greeks, Bulgarians, Hungarians, Georgians, Armenians, Syrians, Egyptians, Nestorians, Maronites, Jacobite, um, Mephisites, Copts, as well as numerous others, all brought in to ensure that Muslims and Jews did not return to the city. As a result of this, the northeastern quarter of the city was repopulated with Eastern Christians from the Transjordan. By 1187, Saladin had driven the Crusaders out of Jerusalem, um, and in the Muslim resettling of the city, Jews were again allowed to return. Under the terms of the surrender of the city by the Crusaders, 60,000 Franks were expelled. Um, but the city's Eastern Christian population was allowed to remain. During Saladin's reign, Jerusalem again saw a large public works program implemented with the construction of houses, markets, public baths, and pilgrim hostels, as well as the establishment of religious endowments for the faiths um, that saw Jerusalem as their home. Despite this, for most of the 13th century, Jerusalem's status in the Muslim world declined um, due to changing strategic goals and infighting within the Ayyubid court. Um, now, later on in 1229, a treaty was signed by the Crusader King, Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II, and the Ayyubid Sultan of Egypt, Al-Kamil, that ended what would be the Sixth Crusade, so there were tons of these, um, and peacefully reverted Jerusalem to Christian control. Now, what made this treaty so amenable to the Ayyubids was that it allowed them to maintain control, maintain control of the Muslim holy places um, in Jerusalem, but did not allow Frederick, it's thought, to restore the city's fortifications and thus um, allowed Jerusalem some peace after the trauma of centuries of crusader wars. Thanks, guys. Um, this peace, though, was ended in 1244, of course, uh, when Jerusalem was sacked by Quaresmian Tartars from Central Asia. Couldn't make that name up. Now, during their siege, they massacred Jerusalem's Christian population and drove the Jews out of the city. These invaders, though, were eventually driven out in 1247 by the, again, Ayyubid Empire, who regained control. Now, in 1260, the Ayyubids were replaced by the Mamluks from Egypt. Um, and this was a specifically difficult time for Jerusalem, which saw earthquakes and the Black Plague on one side, and the Mamluks engaged in numerous regional conflicts on the other. In 1267, when Nachmanides visited Jerusalem, he found only two Jewish families um, in a population of 2,000 uh, people. 300 of them were Christians. So nobody during the time of the Mamluks was really living in Jerusalem. Now, despite the constant warring, the Mamluks made significant additions to the city during their 250 years controlling Jerusalem. They engaged in a campaign of building that saw the construction of numerous religious schools, libraries, hospitals, trading posts, fountains, and public baths. The majority of this building activity was concentrated around the edges of the Temple Mount. But do things last in Jerusalem? No, because in 1517, Jerusalem and the region fell to the Ottoman Turks. Here come the Ottomans. Now, during this time, Jerusalem enjoyed a general period of... Uh, 
prosperity and peace under Suleiman the Magnificent. Do these guys give themselves the names? You know, Herod the Great, Suleiman the Magnificent, um, who who uh, rebuilt the city's walls, which can still be seen lining the border of the old city today. So Suleiman uh, built those walls that we see around the old city. Now, since it was not situated on the main train route, trade route between Damascus and Cairo, Jerusalem maintained its religious importance, but was not seen as an economic or governmental center. In an English publication written in 1744, Jerusalem was still reckoned the capital city of Palestine, though much fallen from its ancient grandeur. Uh, despite this, the Ottoman Empire brought modern postal systems and regular stagecoach and carriage, carriage services to the city. And this modernization um, continued into the mid-19th century when the Ottomans constructed the first paved road to connect Yafo to Jerusalem. How cool is that? Um, this dash towards industrialization again continued with a railroad line connecting the city in 1892. Um, war would again return to the city in 1931 with the annexation uh, with, um, oh, in 1831, sorry. Uh, war would again return to the city in 1831 with the annexation of Jerusalem by Muhammad Ali of Egypt um, in his bid to carve an Egyptian empire out of Ottoman lands. Um, during this period, governments from around the world began to establish foreign missions and consulates in the city. And in 1836, Ali's successor, Ibrahim Pasha, allowed Jerusalem's Jewish residents to restore four major synagogues, among them the historic Herva Synagogue in the Jewish quarter of the old city. Um, that is awesome. That is so cool. Um, now on, on May 31st, 1834, Jerusalem, Jerusalem suffered, um, in what was called the peasants revolt, which was a rising up against Egyptian conscription into their army. Um, in a coordinated attack, the leader of the revolt, Qasim al Ahmad led his forces to Jerusalem and entered the city. And as they took control they viciously attacked the Jewish and Christian populations of the city. This uprising, though, didn't last long as Ibrahim and his forces from Egypt quickly defeated Qasim's al-Amid forces in Jerusalem the following month. That's actually a really interesting uh, story about Muhammad Ali and Ibrahim and how they came to power. And it, um, I jumped over the Napoleonic era because Napoleon actually uh, went to war with the Ottomans during this time. Um, but as far as an impact on Jerusalem, it really didn't have much of one. Now, in 1840, the Ottomans were back. Uh, were, they were back. And their rule was reinstated after the expulsion of Egyptian forces. But um, numerous Egyptian Muslims were allowed to retain in Jerusalem and Jews... Um, Jews from Algiers and North Africa also began to settle in the city. How cool is that? So we're starting to get that um, influx of Sephardic Jews into Jerusalem. Now, in the 1840s and 1850s, the European powers began a campaign to extend their political protection over the region's Christian minorities. Um now, these political maneuvers were carried out mainly through consular rep representatives in Jerusalem. Um, and in 1845, the Prussian consul, uh, as part of this campaign, did a census of Jerusalem and registered a population of 16,410 residents with 7,120 Jews, 5,000 Muslims, 3,390 Christians, 80 Turkish soldiers, and 100 Europeans. This number of Christians, though, dramatically increased during Easter and effectively doubled the size of the city's population. That's insane. Um, expansion of the city grew in the 1860s as neighborhoods began to develop outside of the old city's walls. These new developments were built to house pilgrims visiting the city. 
as well as to relieve the problems of overcrowding and poor sanitation. Now, of these new havens built outside of the old city, there was the Russian compound and Mishkinot Sha'ananim, which were founded in 1860, um, followed by many others that included Mahane Israel in 1868, Nakhalat Shiva in 1869, German Colony in 1872, Beit David in 1873, Mea Shearim in 1874, Shimon Hazadik in um, 1876, Beit Yaakov in 1877, um, Abu Tor in the 1880s, American Swedish Colony in 1882, Yamin Moshe in 1891, and Mamila at the turn of the century. You know where the mall is um, as you go into the old city. Oh, wow, that is such a lot of building. So during this period, the estimated population of Jerusalem was to be over 15,000 people with 4,000 to 5,000 being Jewish and 6,000 of them Muslim. To add to this, every year Jerusalem saw 5,000 to 6,000 Russian Christian pilgrims visiting the city. That is insane. I need another sip of coffee. Wow, a lot of history. I hope you guys are liking this. It took a lot to get this all together for you. Mm -mm. But it's fascinating, it's interesting, and it's a lot of fun. Now, due to this massive population growth and the revenue that accompanied it, the Ottomans in 1872 established Jerusalem as a special administrative district. Now, previously, it had been a subdistrict of the Syria district uh, to the north, but now it was under the direct authority of Istanbul and was called the Mutasarifat, Mutasarifat of Jerusalem. I'm sorry, I don't speak Turkish, so, but it was directly controlled by Istanbul. Now, in 1860, there was a civil war in Mount Lebanon in Ottoman Syria. Excuse me, hiccup. Um, this conflict was primarily between the Druze of the region and their Maronite Christian neighbors. Eventually, fighting spilled into Damascus, where thousands of Maronite Christian residents were massacred by Muslim and Druze militiamen. Um, this created an inordinate number of Christian orphans, and the need to give these children a home led to the opening of the German Protestant Syrian Orphanage, which was better known as the uh, Schneller Orphanage after its founder, German missionary, Johann Ludwig Schneller. That is so nice. Um, that's that's a, a, be a beautiful thing to come out of a horrible thing. Now, while Schnell the Schneller Orphanage existed for Christian orphans up until the 1880s, um, in Jerusalem, there were still no formal orphanages for Jewish orphans. This is most likely due to the fact that at the time, Jewish families generally took in and took care of their orphans, um, as most things arise out of necessity. In 1881, the Diskin Orphanage was founded in response to the arrival of Jewish children orphaned by Russian pogroms. Um, this overwhelming need by the Jewish community of Jerusalem to create a home for Jewish orphans led to the founding of two more orphanages, uh, the Zion Blumenthal Orphanage in 1900 and the General Israel Orphans Home for Girls in 1982. Or in, in 1902, sorry, not 1982, 1902. Um, all right, yeah, that's it. That's the history of Jerusalem up to the Ottoman period. Now, normally what I do is I cover the, uh, the mandate period, um, but... There was so much history. Um, there were 15 pages of research notes to, to give to you guys. So, uh, wow. Um, crazy. Insane. I don't know how else to describe it. One day it's this. The next day it's this. One day it's this. The next day it's this. Um, you can see the history 
uh, uh, of this great glorious city and you can also understand the pain of this great glorious city and for those of you who think that that the issues of right now are difficult just imagine living during one of any of the numerous different calamities that um that jerusalem has suffered all right hey um if you like this uh if you like this episode hit the like button and the subscribe button don't forget to hit the notification bell um share this podcast with your friends and with your family and if you want to take us with you you can find us on soundcloud itunes google podcasts stitcher tune in and on spotify um as always um this episode is brought to you by the 12 cities in israel modern hebrew flashcards um the best way to learn hebrew the best way to brush up on hebrew you can find them on kindle for um Amazon, uh, you can find them on Amazon for Kindle, said that backwards, sorry. Um, and if you don't have Kindle on your um, Android, on your iPhone, your iPad, your PC, or your Mac, you can download it in the description below. Um, and also check out our uh, my children's book uh, with uh, illustrator Donna Korokova, um, who is a Jew, which is... An awesome bedtime story to tell your child why it's so awesome to be Jewish. Um, all right, that's it. Ta da ra, the itrod ve, yalla bye. Thank you.